This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Monday afternoon, November 21st. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. 43 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies, going up to 47 today. A little warmer this week compared to last week. The details in the complete forecast from AccuWeather coming up in just a couple of minutes. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. The markets are lower to kick off the shortened trading week. Let's get the latest now on trading from Bloomberg and Ann Cates. Rob, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 53 points. The Nasdaq off 138. The S&P 500 down 19. Worries are mounting that China may tighten COVID-19 restrictions as the death rate starts to rise. Plus, there are concerns about the economic outlook in the U.S. As the Federal Reserve continues to vow interest rates will be hiked to get inflation tamped down due out this week or the meetings of the minutes of the last Fed meeting. Economists at Citigroup appearing on Bloomberg Television say the labor market is very tight, giving the Fed no choice but to raise rates higher. While Disney won bright spot today, its shares are up 5% after Disney terminated CEO Bob Chapek and replaced him with one-time leader Bob Iger. Back to you, Rob. Thanks, Ann. We'll check in with you at 1223. The risk of a national railroad strike once again looming. We'll get an update in our next segment right now. The highlights of the coming week include the release of the minutes from the most recent meeting of the Fed, plus the unofficial start of the holiday shopping season on Black Friday. We're joined by Carl Tenenbaum, chief economist with Northern Trust based in Chicago. Carl, thanks for joining us today. Will the uh, Fed minutes that come out uh, Wednesday afternoon, will that reflect the two strains of thought uh, that are running through the uh, Federal Open Market Committee, uh, some saying maybe we should pause and others saying that the uh, interest rate hike should continue until morale improves? Rob, I think the minutes will be very revealing. As we get closer to the end of the Fed's tightening program, it'll be important to hear the two sides of the argument for continuing or slowing down. Those two sides were on display after the last Fed meeting when the statement seemed to suggest that the cumulative impact of rate increases would be something to be respected, a sign that markets took that the Fed might be ready to slow down. But uh, Chairman Jay Powell threw a little bit of cold water on that expectation in his, his press conference, where he noted that uh, the Fed was intent on continuing its tightening program until it was absolutely certain that inflation was under better control. Markets have uh, probably come back uh, full circle a little bit as we look this morning the markets are still expecting the Fed to get its overnight rates to a peak of 5% early next year, which is 100 basis points higher from where they are today. But clearly, the pace of increases is slowing as the economy begins to show uh, more settled inflation. And then what will investors look for on Black Friday and then the days after when they start to total up the number of people who went shopping uh, the evening of or the morning after Thanksgiving? It seems like the holiday sales season gets longer and longer and harder to track. 
Uh, the first prime day, as I understand, it took place in October. And we are hearing, Rob, that uh, supply chains have healed uh, maybe overly much because there are excesses of inventories in certain categories that merchants are anxious to move off of their virtual shelves. Uh, the early signs are that we'll have a fairly solid holiday season. Employment is good and spending intentions are strong. The question is uh, over what time frame we'll begin to observe those. And are people going to be spending more time in malls this year than they have in the past? Yeah, the last two years, especially in 2020, there was probably a greater uh, inclination to do your shopping online just because of that, that COVID uncertainty. You weren't quite uh, ready to go out uh, in the teeming throngs once again, but uh, maybe uh, people will be in the mood for some old-time shopping in 2022. And we're beginning to see initial signs of that, actually, that more and more people are spending a little bit more time at malls, which will be good for merchants that depend on footfall. And then what is the trading schedule for this week? Uh, markets are closed for sure on Thursday. Yeah, very light on Friday and uh, you know, very often traders will try and settle their positions in advance of the Thanksgiving holiday so they can get home and enjoy the, uh, the season. Unfortunately, the cost of a turkey dinner is 20% higher than it was last year, so inflation is not exempt from impacting our Thanksgiving uh, meal. And then very quickly, Carl, uh, with the Fed minutes coming out on Wednesday, the markets closed on Thursday, lighter activity on Friday. Uh, do, do the Fed minutes have the potential uh, to move markets uh, going through a holiday week? I wouldn't expect much impact because of the holiday week and because I don't expect there to be much controversial within. Carl Tannenbaum, Chief Economist, Northern Trust, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, gauging the prospect of a potentially crippling railroad workers' strike. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Members of one of the country's largest railroad unions have narrowly voted to reject a tentative deal announced more than two months ago. Let's talk about the possibility of a national strike with Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Where would you peg the odds of a nationwide railroad strike right now? I think, unfortunately, it's moved uh, well above 50 percent. Even though the vote was close about striking, I think there is uh, an undercurrent here of discontent, and it's uh, it's coming at a bad time. The the, the deal that was struck a couple of months ago at the end of the summer uh, with the 12 unions that represent the major freight railroads Eight have ratified that deal. They've they've signed off on it. They've approved it. Four have not. But their leverage is that if the four want to strike, everybody's walking off the job. Um, the White House stepped in last time. What uh, types of uh, federal remedies exist this time? Yeah, that's right. We are in the you know, so-called cooling off period, and we have uh, presidential intervention here. And we just have you know today's news about uh, uh, the smart group, which the conductors voting no. And there is this sense of solidarity among um, laborers. You know, there is a, uh, a tough time because railroads have moved to precision schedule railroading, which means they've kind of cut things to the bone in terms of staff. So uh, days off, people can't get the days off they want. There's feeling an element of disrespect in the minds of uh, uh, employees. And that's a hard thing to negotiate for because it's, uh, it's something that's quite emotional. Uh, of course, uh, Christmas holiday season, most of that traffic will already be done in two weeks, but... Uh, 
boy, this is uh, coming to a head. And uh, basically, the the big issue here is not pay so much as as the time off component of it, because as you mentioned, uh, you know, railroads, even though we're used to seeing train schedules for Metra, uh, a lot of the way the freight railroads work is when the train is ready, that's when the train leaves. And that requires uh, the train crews to be very flexible when they can get up and go to work. That's right, and I think the shifts have gotten a little worse in the last uh, four or five years. They moved to this new kind of railroading, precision railroading, and it also means that, you know, at busy times, you may be turned down for time off, and, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that was normal. Now we're seeing employers trying to, you know, give people that flexibility for family events and so forth, and, and that's hard to do when you don't have spare manpower around. If, you know, everybody wants a certain week off, you end up saying no to a lot of people, and that's... uh uh, you know, at a time we have inflation, uh, I think the jobs have gotten harder, trains are getting longer, so the, the stress uh, of running your shift tends to have risen. And uh, I think there's uh, some uh, interest in making a statement that uh, the quality of life has, has not kept pace. Now, what happened, there are a couple of complicating factors here. One of them is eight of the unions have already agreed this agreed to this deal. So if the feds step in, they open the contract up for renegotiation, and then the four holdouts get a better deal, what happens to the other eight? Oh, exactly right. I mean, this is a very interesting thing. If the if the uh, coalition will hold together when you're going to start walking away from lots of pay, if we were to have a strike, and whether we'll see uh, uh, some leverage or some flexibility on that, because that's really hard uh, uh, to do, to uh, all act in unison when they all have different interests. And the railroads have been pretty generous with the, uh, uh, you know, what they're putting on the table. So can one group really uh, bring down the other ten, so to speak? And I think at the end of the day, uh, uh, while we could have, I think, a good chance of a strike, I don't think it'll be very long. But even uh, a four- or five-day strike, you know, really affects those supply chains because those ships get backed up in the Port of Los Angeles. You know, there's no place to put the trains uh, when when things are parked. The, uh, Chicago becomes a bit of a logjam, and it's uh, it's going to be tough. Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, businesses continue to struggle in their quest for qualified workers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today an economy of words the wbbm noon business hour continues many companies are finding few to no qualified applicants for some positions despite more recent layoffs let's check in with rick cobb founder of the workplace consulting firm to discern in chicago rick thanks for joining us today who is having the hardest time finding qualified workers these days Sure. It's, it's the small business owner. You know, it's the, it's the independent stores. They're the ones that are struggling um, because the population that they need to attract and retain uh, has been overshadowed and passed by, the, by a hot job market. And in the past, we've talked about how there is a real uh, arms race underway uh, by uh, businesses to attract talent these days. And is it just simply the fact that uh, small businesses just don't have the uh, same financial firepower that a a Fortune 500 company would have? 
Yeah, I'm not willing to concede that. I mean, there aren't a lot of people at uh, Twitter or Tesla or Starbucks right now, other than the executive teams who would say that they're having a great time. Um, you know, the, the, the financial success of a, of a Fortune 1000 company doesn't necessarily trickle down to the average hourly employee. So the smaller businesses need to embrace their strengths. They have a culture that they can define. They have some sort of a mission or purpose, and they, they can more easily attract somebody who feels like they're making a contribution. If I run a sandwich shop or a, a small retail bookstore, I can, that person can come in and make a significant impact, and I can laud them for that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be money. Uh, to, to fix it on the fact that big companies can pay more eliminates the strength you have as a, as a small employer. Is this uh, affecting salaried employees or hourly workers? It's, it's mostly hourly workers at this moment. Um, you know, if you look at what the, the headcount issues for major companies, they're, they're looking at productivity per person, and that goes all the way to the very top of the house. But when you're looking at the small, uh, the small employer, there aren't many independent stores that have anybody that's at the white collar or management level, uh, unless they have more than one operation. So, the, and, and the, but what's important for us to understand about the economy, and this has been true for probably the last three or four decades, is job creation happens at the 500 and undersized company. It doesn't matter what IBM or or motor, the biggest companies in the world do. Job creation is happens at at the local market. And then when it comes to uh you know the 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 things that attract people to a particular business and some of the things that the smaller businesses could offer that the bigger ones cannot. I mean, we, you obviously it's very natural to fixate on money, but in numerous sure. conversations we've had, uh it's the other things that typically move the needle. Absolutely. The you, there's a lot of people out there, and I have a, a, I have many adult children, uh, uh, so I understand how they think. They're not necessarily interested in the financial uh, financial success as much as feeling uh, part of something and being in a culture. So if you create a culture in your organization where everybody's collaborative and everybody feels like they're pulling together, you can do some non you can do some non financial things. You can create very flexible work hours uh, so that people don't necessarily have to be. Uh, there for 40 hours a week in order to to be able to work. I think it was one of the retail, um, one of the big chains actually embraced that and was offering people three three day work weeks, and they were they couldn't even hire everybody that wanted to work there because of the flexibility of their of their opportunity. And then just embracing things like wellness, some programs that you know maybe if you're a restaurant, then people don't pay for their food. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can find to engage people and want them to stay there, and your own employees are your best ambassadors for that because they are the people that want to work there. What are they like and who else is like them is the way to attract talent. Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm Two Discern, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Still ahead, a pair of investment suggestions for our Monday Stock Picker. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio. WBBM charges have now been filed in a deadly mass shooting over the weekend at a nightclub in Colorado Springs, Colorado. A vigil is held in Chicago for the victims of the killings in Colorado. People will be hitting the road for Thanksgiving. We'll get an update on gas prices and it's Stock Picker Monday. We'll get a couple of suggestions from an investing pro. WBBM Business. The markets are mixed. The Dow up. 
17 points. The NASDAQ is down 102. The S&P 500 is down 10. We have 43 degrees right now at O'Hare under mostly sunny skies. Going up to 47 today. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. Charges have now been filed against the man suspected of killing five people and wounding dozens of others at a gay bar in Colorado Springs. Online court records show that 22-year-old Anderson Aldrich is facing five murder charges and five charges of committing a bias-motivated crime causing bodily injury. A law enforcement source says the suspect used an AR-15-style semi-automatic weapon in Saturday night's attack. The mass shooting in Colorado creating feelings of fear and anger among Chicago's LGBTQ plus community. Here's WBBM's Rachel Pearson. A crowd gathered outside Andersonville's LGBTQ friendly bar Nobody's Darling to hold a vigil for the victims of the nightclub shooting in Colorado Springs. Organizer Don Valenti. The reason we're here too is to make sure that we know that our family in Colorado Springs that we stand with them. The attack at Club Q left five people dead and dozens more injured. 14-year-old Gnome says the Colorado venue is similar to Nobody's Darling in that it was supposed to be a place where people felt safe. Every time I tell someone I'm gay or trans, I have to weigh the risks and think, is it safe? The vigil happened to coincide with Transgender Day of Remembrance, a day meant to honor lives lost in anti-transgender violence. That's the story from Andersonville. It's 12.32. The noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red today. Let's take a look at stocks, including a special eye on Disney with Nick Raish, CEO of the Earnings Scout, based in Cleveland, the website earningscout.com. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Disney, the message they sent last night, which is, uh, meet the new Bob, same as the old Bob. Yes, uh, on, on a boomerang CEO again. We've seen these before, uh, and the market likes it because when uh, Bob Iger was at the helm of Disney from 2005 to uh, 2020, uh, the market capitalization of Disney stock increased fivefold. So it's hoping uh, he can return some of that uh, Disney magic to the stock price again. Now, Bob Chapek came in kind of at the wrong time, especially for a company that relies on packed movie theaters and packed cruise ships and packed theme parks the world over. Uh, everything came tumbling down in March of 2020 and took a long time to recover. Uh, did Bob Chapek get caught holding the bag when this historic event took place? Sometimes you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that doesn't mean you're the wrong person for the job. But, yeah, the macro environment completely changed, particularly on the entertainment side and the movie side with with COVID and what happened there. So I don't know if it's a reflection of um, Bob Chapek as being a bad CEO, just uh, the timing probably wasn't right. Now, his contract was renewed earlier in the summer, so clearly yeah. Disney had some confidence in him. Was it that third quarter report where uh, they posted all those streaming losses? Uh, did that kind of do him in? Uh, it was a disappointment, yes. And the stock's been disappointing under his tenure. So even though the macro environment, we could say, you know, he inherited a bad time to come in with COVID, uh, Disney stock still suffered and completely uh, underperformed the market uh, during his three-year tenure. So, uh, like I said, it's the market's uh, very excited today with Bob Iger returning, and maybe he'll return what uh, Steve Jobs did to Apple or Howard Schultz at Starbucks. The, the market's hoping for that. What kind of challenge is ahead for Bob Iger? I mean, obviously, the theme park business appears to have recovered. I mean, clearly, the cruise ship business has recovered to the point where they actually bought a cruise ship off the hands of a of another line uh, that didn't want to 
take it anymore. So clearly there's some confidence in that sector. But streaming seems to be kind of in in a weird spot where you get the subscribers and you get the ad revenue, but the ad revenue is nowhere near as lucrative as broadcast revenue used to be. And now you have an audience that is conditioned for these billion dollar eye popping Star Wars series that may not be sustainable. Yes, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's going to be a focus on the streaming services uh, and what Disney can deliver to shareholders that way through that venue. Uh, and also at the movies, too. That, that, that Those have not fully recovered either. So it's a mix of those two things. The theme parks will still well, um, but uh, I think the focus will be on the streaming services. And then very quickly, Nick, uh, the Fed minutes released this week, but it's also a weird trading week. Uh, does that have the potential to move markets? Oh, it most certainly does. I think all, all eyes have been on the Fed and what it's going to do next and, next, and everyone's hoping for a Fed pivot. I, I personally think that's the wrong thing to look for. Um, it looks like, you know, what the bond market's signaling to us is in a recession is imminent next year. And uh, regardless if the Fed hikes even one more basis point higher, but uh, with inflation still persistently high, the Fed's going to probably keep its uh, pedal to the metal on the, uh, the rate hikes uh, in December. Nick Rach, CEO of The Earning Scout, based in Cleveland. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. The website, theearningscout.com. Coming up next, the latest on gas prices ahead of a big driving week. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's a big week for filling up the tank and hitting the road. Let's talk about the cost of a Thanksgiving trip with Stephen Shork, principal and co-founder of the Shork Group, based in Villanova, Pennsylvania. The website, theshorkreport.com. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Uh, if someone goes and takes a road trip this Thanksgiving week, what types of gas prices will they find uh, once they get out on the open road? Yes. Well, the bad news, I think, for this week is because we are seeing a a severe uptick in demand and gas prices in the Midwest are still challenged by the fact that a big refinery down in Toledo, Ohio, is still down from uh, from maintenance. Uh, So in general, we'll be looking at the most expensive gasoline prices for Thanksgiving ever. That comes from GasBuddy.com. Right now, looking at AAA uh, yesterday in the Chicago metro area, we're looking at uh, prices of about $4.17 a gallon. Uh, Once again, that will certainly be a high for any Thanksgiving uh, for people over there in Chicagoland. Uh, The good news is, though, that we've had a significant downturn in crude oil prices over the last couple of weeks, uh, from well above $90 a barrel to we just dipped below $8 a barrel on some headlines coming out of Saudi Arabia. But it looks like those headlines have uh, were false. So oil is back above $10, excuse me, $80 a barrel. But that $10 differential over the past couple of weeks typically will translate into about a two, 2.1 cent per gallon uh, uh, or per dollar decrease in crude oil prices. So $10, we're looking at a potential 20, 21, 22 cent decline in uh, gas prices. So while we will be paying higher prices for Thanksgiving, uh, perhaps going into the Christmas holiday, uh, that 417 average that Chicago's paying now 
will be under that $4 threshold uh, by Christmas time. Yes, it's a Thanksgiving high, but uh, by the standards of 2022, the price of gas is actually fairly reasonable uh, just based on some of the highs we saw in uh, March and again in June. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, the price of oil, at least as far as West WTI is concerned, uh, on my board hovering around uh, $80 a barrel right now, and this was based on some information that came out of uh, Saudi Arabia this morning that they said that maybe yeah. they were thinking about uh, asking OPEC Plus for a uh, boost in output, about, about 500,000 barrels a day. Uh, but you said that was merely a trial balloon. Yeah, absolutely. The Wall Street Journal reported that in Saudi Arabia, and then oil prices dipped to $75 a barrel this morning. Uh, Saudi Arabia has since come out, denied that report, and hence we're back above $80 a barrel. But the more important issue now is the news we got over the weekend, a big pipeline that goes from West Texas, where all that shale oil is being produced, that goes to the export market down in Houston. Uh, There is reduced flows on that pipeline for maintenance. So that oil being produced in West Texas has to go somewhere. So if it cannot go to the export markets down in the Gulf Coast in the Houston area, it's going to have to go up to storage up in Cushing, Oklahoma. And this is where uh, the delivery point is for the NYMEX uh, crude oil contract. So with that more shale oil over the next few weeks coming into the delivery hub at NYMEX, should help keep a price, regardless of the headlines coming out of OPEC, should keep a price. Uh, with all that supply flowing back now into Cushing, Oklahoma. And then, Stephen, very quickly, how much of the story of gas prices these days is based on the international oil market, and how much of it is simply a function of refinery capacity? Well, the overwhelming, great question, the overwhelming uh, issue is lack of refinery capacity. Uh, so you can put all the oil on the world you know, in your tanks, and right now Europe because of concerns about this price cap on Russian oil, they can't put any more oil. Europe has plenty of crude oil right now. They can't store it anymore. And so that is the situation. It doesn't, you know, it, crude oil supply is important, but more important is refinery capacity. And we simply don't have the supply capacity that we had just a few years ago. I'm here in Philadelphia. Three years ago, we had a refinery in South Philadelphia that produced or processed 330,000 barrels of crude oil a day. That refinery is no longer here. So we've cut our refinery capacity. Therefore, we've cut our capacity to turn crude oil from what it is into what we need, gasoline and diesel fuel. And that is your primary driver to our gasoline prices at the pump. Stephen Shork, principal and co-founder of The Shork Group, based in Villanova, Pennsylvania. The website, theshorkreport.com. Join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday and still to come, our Monday Stock Picker. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Stock Picker Monday and helping us out this afternoon is Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager with Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Ken, thanks for joining us today. Uh, You have two selections today and the first one uh, has a name that sounds uh, very agricultural, but actually it's not so much anymore. That's right. That's Tractor Supply Company. So what they are for your listeners who are not familiar, it's kind of a rural general store is, uh, I guess, the way I would describe it. And uh, what makes them so attractive? Well, uh, 
because they are in rural areas, there's a little bit less competition, as you would expect, as compared to the cities. Um, one of the things that we like, especially if you're worried about the economy slowing, is about half of their sales are animal product related. So if you're a farmer, you got to feed your cows, you got to feed your horses. And if you're a pet owner, you probably want your dog and your cat to be well fed as well. So a little bit less economically sensitive than buying things for people. And it also happens to be uh, perfectly situated for a couple of uh, demographic trends that have been taking place, especially uh, since COVID-19 made remote work that much more attractive. That's right. We've seen people leaving uh, more urban areas and moving out to the suburbs and Exbergs, just as you said, they can work remotely. So that population shift helps tractor supply as well. And then uh, your next uh, business is a big rental company. Correct. United Rentals, they're the largest heavy equipment uh, renter in the in the world, actually, and certainly in the United States. So I'm sure your listeners have seen perhaps a truck go by with a forklift or a bulldozer or whatever, and, and not infrequently that uh, – that vehicle would be carrying a United Rentals piece of equipment. And how uh, economically sensitive is United Rentals? I mean, obviously, if you're concerned about a recession, um, if there is one, then the need to rent all this heavy equipment goes down. But uh, if you like the stock, then it, it would uh, one would it would imagine that uh, possibly uh, you expect a, a higher than expected level of economic activity going forward. Well, there are a few things over and above the economy that get us interested in United Rentals. They continue to take share. Also, users of their equipment, um, you've seen a shift from owning those heavy pieces of equipment to renting. So their addressable market is growing. And then on the come is the infrastructure bill with $1.2 trillion of spend to try to get the infrastructure in the United States back up to snuff. And if part of that involves heavy construction, uh, that should help United Rentals as well. Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager with Argent Capital based in Clayton, Missouri. Thanks for joining us on Stock Picker Monday. His two selections for this week, Tractor Supply Company, the ticker symbol TSCO, and United Rentals, the ticker symbol URI. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Baseball is back. 
and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.